Hi Kat! Hi Laura, good to see you. How are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's a shame that the sun's gone, but I'm doing well. Mm. I'm okay, yes, feeling quite similar about the sun and yeah, it's been quite a quite a um important and like quite upsetting and quite emotive week this week um in the light of black lives matter um and i think we've well this episode is um particularly poignant for this time yeah so i recorded a interview with two members of our course in year b Ange and ram they have recently attended a conference about diversity that was run by the RCSLT and we knew that we wanted to talk about diversity so we approached them and asked them if they would like to be interviewed. Thankfully they said they would and the following interview was recorded back in April so before the murder of George Floyd and the big Black Lives Matter movement that we're currently seeing and then I went back after the Black Lives Matter movement and asked them if they would like to make any further statements. So they are included at the end of the interview um, once you've listened to what they've got to say about diversity in speech and language therapy specifically. So should we just get straight to it then and um, listen to the interviews? Let's dive straight in. Just to give us a bit of background on the two of you, could you both tell me a little bit about your own experiences um, as people of colour on the Speech and Language Sciences course? Um, Maybe, Ange, if we start with you. I think my growing up, being from London, always seeing diverse people, for me it wasn't being treated any different that I noticed it. It was me going into the the first day, going in and noticing the difference. Mm. Never, I think I came onto the course, had no idea about the um, the lack of diversity. So it was an opening eye for me. I don't think I have experienced anything through placement or any comments or anything like that. It's just through my observations of the course, how like um, lack of diversity is. The teaching is not doesn't match up to what I would expect if we're interacting with. A, and of clients so for me it's not that I have experienced stuff it's me noticing things what about you Ram? I, I've had um, some direct experience it was quite difficult to talk about it at the time and I didn't really talk about it until um, when I went to the diversity um, event at the RCSLT I think um, it was it was my first placement. It was the ongoing placement. Mm. It's very subtle as well. And I kind of just thought, oh, maybe it's just me. And um, so, how, okay, let me just kind of ignore it a little bit and see what happens. And hopefully it will just be something. Maybe nerves. I, I actually just put it down to nerves from both of us. But over time, I kind of noticed more and more of it where we're in conversation. Yeah, she, you should be looking more at my uh, placement partner. And I thought, okay, that's fine. That's who you're comfortable with, and that's not a problem. And then when you ask a question, and I would ask a question, and then the response is directed to my placement partner, mm. and, I have, and it, it come with fleeting glances back at me. But I kind of thought, well, hang on, this is not right. I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on here. I mean, I'm, the more and more it happens, I kind of think actually you are not very comfortable 
with me as a person of colour, maybe. It kind of, yeah, it left me a little bit unsettled. But then at the same time, was it, it kind of then progressed to where my mid-placement review, my placement partner had that. And even though she had time, like he, to do it with me, she chose to go to a meeting and basically they said, oh, okay, I'll do yours over the phone. My first placement, I'm thinking, I really need your feedback. I really need to know what I'm doing well and what I need to improve on. And yeah, we had to do it over the phone. It was odd, very, very odd. I mean, in terms of the course, yes, it, it's very clear. You can see um, the amount of people who are like diverse backgrounds within the course. And I knew that. I kind of, I had done a little bit of my research and I knew what to expect. It's what, what my friends were kind of saying. It's like, oh, you're joining a course that's full of um, middle class white girls. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can maybe break the mold a little bit and see what happens. And um, it's no uh, use now. It's the middle of London. It's going to be more, a lot more diverse than people are expecting it to be. A lot of non people of colour think that the box, and like if you're a person of colour, you're in that box, and then within that box are boxes. So it doesn't matter if an example we use someone wearing a headscarf, someone wearing a hijab, they might be more overtly treated than someone who's not and but sim- same with a similar skin tone i think that's what needs to be there needs to be sh- like a light on that as well and it's not just like me and man like like she will experience completely different to my experience or my non-experience and i don't want it to be i think a lot of um, people of color aren't are not happy with the term people of color because it class people as similar experiences and uh, that's a big big point it's like a colorism thing as well you have within race you have colorism yeah yeah i I would definitely agree with that i think um i i would much more prefer um just the averse labels i'd much more prefer being called um a black woman Mm -hmm. um and you know i'm I'm sure most of you prefer asian or um, white and stating it as it is you know without um obviously the derogatory comments and so forth is putting putting a label to it and saying this is what it is in a positive way Hmm. not um kind of grouping everybody together exactly a person of color but you know we know that obviously there's white people all over the world and most of them don't identify themselves as european or um english they identify themselves as african white Hmm. so you know, it's, it's quite good to just kind of call people what they are and, you know, just kind of the best. How did you react to coming to UCL, um, maybe expecting one thing for the course to be a little bit more diverse than it was and finding another? Um, mm. And could you talk about your reactions, both emotionally, if you're comfortable to, um, practically, and um, maybe touch a little bit on the, the conference that you went to with the RCSLT? <laughs> I was taken aback. I really was taken aback. I think I wasn't actually expecting to um, come to UCL initially, um, and I was pleasantly surprised um, when I, when I was accepted. And I had reservations about initially accepting a place at UCL because I came to UCL because of the reputation that it has. And but for those initial initial two weeks, I think I was quite anxious, and I wasn't sure how I would settle in the course because I, I could literally count and one hand the amount of uh, black and brown faces and I thought 
how am I going to uh, settle into this? So it was Rachel who approached me uh, first and asked me if I could go to um, this um, event, which was in June last year. And I was very, very skeptical. So I said, okay, fine. I was tentative about it, which was which was great. Christina was absolutely amazing. I had never met her up until the day I saw her. <laughs> I was walking around looking for, um, I, I described myself to her, so if you find me, this is who I am. And clearly I stand out. I'm the only black girl with a, a lock. So I was like, oh, okay, and she came straight to me, which is brilliant. And I was so, I was pleasantly surprised just how diverse um, that event was. Um, it wasn't just about um, being um, black or Asian within um, the profession. It was about being um, bisexual, gay, uh, men who were very much underrepresented as well. Um, and these people sharing and being open. And in particular, the students as well um, of black origin and Asian origin who had experienced some pretty harrowing experiences as well on, on placement in particular. Not with their practice educators, but more with patients and clients. Um, and I realized there's, there's a lot to do in terms of educating people across the board. Because if you're ill and you go to a hospital, most people don't tend to stop and think, oh, I want to be treated by um, a white person. I don't, want, oh, I don't want to be treated by a black person. You want, you want your life to be saved. You want to be healed. And if that's the person that's closest to you that can actually do that for you, you accept that. I'm not sure why it doesn't apply to speech language therapy. If you know that this person's got the ability to help you to communicate, to help you to swallow safely, to help you to... Um, integrate a little bit better in the community with your communication skills what how does it matter if they're black white asian why does it matter that starts really with the staff and the profession not necessarily the clients um, and could you tell us a little bit about your reaction you touched on it a little bit in the previous mm -hmm. question but could you tell us a little bit more about how you reacted yeah, I think for me, I was so naive, so naive, because I didn't fit, I didn't know about the profession in terms of it being a white middle class profession. I had no idea when I was, I didn't know anyone that was a speech therapist. I didn't pick up once to think, oh, it would be like a white middle class woman career. I just never thought that until I went to the interview. So for me, it opened my eyes at the interview. And I only went to um, the UCL interview. I remember there was only me and another Asian girl and that was it in terms of colour and the rest of the people in that room was white and there wasn't any black girls, any men, There was it was just me. Even though I'm an ethnic minority, I, would, I never felt like one because there's so many different cultures around me. Whereas a lot of people who grow up in places that aren't in London might be the only person in their school or in their class. Then allowed myself to think, okay, like, what happens if I go into this? And it's, I never wanted to feel uncomfortable. It was okay, we'll see how it goes. When, well, after I got accepted, I was just happy to get accepted. It didn't cross my mind. I didn't put too much emphasis on it until I got into my first day. But that was the first thing I noticed. It wasn't that it was, oh my God, it was UCL. No, I like walked in and I knew, I like, I counted literally. And I was like, oh my God. I've never been in a situation like that. That now then grouping everyone and th saying then you're thinking you're not even like person of color then you're thinking what there was like three or four black 
students on the course and then now that's reduced so like when you're when you're then putting it into compartments it's like three Indian girls when you look at it is you can count what 10 around that number out of 60 how am I supposed to be myself around these people because I'm so used to being loud and open and I didn't want to offend anyone and I had to assimilate and change not who I was but just adjust what like I would be at home with my friends compared to at uni a bit more toned down watching what I'm saying I just I just say I just had to assimilate and I think the first year because your first year you there's so much you need to assimilate with like in terms of education place there's just a lot this I just took this as a back seat and that's why like I just assimilated I changed who I was a little bit because I needed to fit in I needed to follow the course I needed like passing the first year one of the things maybe I should have mentioned about the experiences that I had when I first got onto the course is it was that, that kind of thing of being accepted and maybe the reason people aren't approaching me is that they just don't know how. They may feel a little bit uncomfortable, they're worried about maybe saying something that they think may be offended by it or if, if you're not exposed to that, you sometimes don't know whether your language or how you come across. But for a profession where you will be working with people <laughs> who are very, very diverse and who are very vulnerable, you kind of need those experiences. You need to understand where people are coming from and you need to be comfortable um, to, to actually help them. And there is still a lot of work <laughs> to be done. Um, and this is at the grassroots level where we are in the 21st century. So imagine what's happening with. Um, the guys who qualified so many years ago and you know our lecturers and so forth it's it's at the high time that rcslt are looking at this and saying how to tackle it it's going to take years generations outside following from what ram's saying about you are a product of your own environment like we've come up with the idea rams and i of like taking this forward and then UCL need to lead it and they need, they're the ones that can have the real change and empowered and simple, like what we've discussed when we've had meetings with the teams, the, um, the lecturers, is they're asking for all our advice and I we appreciate it. When we had our first meeting, I was so like open-eyed, oh my God, they're going to do so much and the experience of what has come they, they are doing things, but I think what needs to happen, if, if it's a grassroots project with students and the staff team, why is that conversation now? Because they take the staff are taking it. Why why are students left alone? It's like, we've bought this to you, you're taking it and running with it and claiming it as your own. And that's how personally I feel. And I maybe I'm overreacting, but if it's supposed to be a student and lecturers and a whole conversation and not just them doing this by themselves then it's fair enough us giving ideas but following us with the updates it's a sensitive topic so it's not like I'm asking for my coursework results like a topic that brings about emotion so for us chasing this it's a lot they don't have the emotional tie to it that we may have or something I'm not saying that if you're white you can't have an emotional tie to it I'm not saying that but they're like I know they are taking it seriously they are trying to change and it's not just a UCL, it's RCSLT, it's everyone. It's just they need to take into account of the emotional fragility. Being a bit more careful in how they're going about it in terms of how they're updating the students, 
it, it goes across boards. It's not just um, speech and language therapy. It's any institution, any school. Like, it's not just the speech and language therapy thing. Definitely. I think that the ill-equipped, I would say, to actually know where to start with this issue because they have never had to deal with it. Mm. And it's confronting. It's confronting to their sense of who they are and their sense of what it is that they're instilling in the new generation of SLTs. And I almost kind of feel like, well, if you don't have the expertise and you you don't know where to start, you probably do need some outside help. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You you can't be everything to Mm -hmm. to everyone. And I think that's what UCL, um, on this course in particular, needs to acknowledge. To say, actually, maybe we're a little bit out of our depth with this issue. We have got the resources to actually get someone who is an expert in, in these issues to come in and actually step back and review and see where the problems are, mm-hmm. then talk to the staff, talk to the, to the students, talk to uh, the practice educators, see the environment that um, students are working in, mm-hmm. and then say, okay, this is what we actually need to implement. It is a problem that doesn't just affect um, UCL. We are people who will be going out there into the profession and cascading the knowledge that UCL has given us, but also cascading the reputation that UCL leaves with us. You can't say students will help us to leave this. When your experiences yourself do not reflect that. I mean, that focus group, very good idea, but you then had to find out that it was a PhD student who was just doing her own research. I thought that was a slap in the face. I thought I didn't come across because she has a vested interest in getting something out of UCL. So, <laughs> well, it, it was never going to work. More could be done, and I, I do think they need to get more help. Because you just need to also look at the teaching staff, and I have nothing against anybody. I think all the, te- all the lectures are brilliant, and they're amazing at what they do. I don't see myself in that. I'm sure Ange doesn't see herself in that. I'm sure... A lot of students of diversity don't see themselves in UCL. I think following from what I'm saying is the focus group, I think the way it was pitched to us is not the way it happened. And that's the issue. For me, I was disappointed in the focus group. I felt that they didn't target. It's only because I started talking about it. The questions weren't focused on that. And they it was general I thought, listen, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to start talking about it. But why is it that then, again, we have to come in with the, we have to bring it up again. And that's the whole thing. If it's a focus group about diversity, why is that not put in the questions? I think they, they're, they're, they're tiptoeing around the issue because they're scared. They're scared of offending. They're scared of being put on spotlight. Yeah, well, can't be forgotten about because the problem remains. <laughs> the problem in the profession will remain. So... Following up, I remember what, what they were saying about seeing yourself in a university and seeing yourself in lecturers, because um, we were discussing in our meeting at how the meeting we had, um, Rams and I and two of the teaching staff, that um, they were just saying in comment that that's why we need um, you guys to go off and come back and do your PhDs here and um, things like that. So my approach to that was... When you look at any job, sometimes in job applications, it says, oh, we recommend people applying from a BAME background. So I'm saying, has have they done this when they're advertising? 
two um, new staff members join the team this year. But these are the people that follow the, the lecturers we have, the ones that the white middle class lecturers and men as well. They, they have this plan. But we're saying if you want people to come back to do a PhD, are you actively seeking them? Are you going into trusts? Are you emailing the trust leads instead of the other way around? Because some people don't realise that that could be an opportunity for them if it's not highlighted through a service. Rams and I have both spoken about how when we do get guest lecturers, for me personally, I see myself in the people that are not just people of colour, but people who are still passionate when you have these people from diverse backgrounds and you still and you see their passion you see yourself in them because you see what you can be if someone who reflects you doesn't have to be the specific just someone in your position someone your background like as we say it's a middle class background there are some lecturers who have are not from middle class background who when we've spoken to they've said yes before it was middle class now it's becoming more working class yeah it's good that that's moved on so we need to do the same with the diversity i think even from uh apply not just for phds i think even just to get onto the course as well mm. i think it's, it's got to be something they have to be averse about it's not to stop applications from um white middle class background at all it actually probably would increase the application rate because everybody will be thinking well this is a university it's very inclusive let's think about the future of um, not just your SLTs, but also of the clients that they were. I initially kind of thought the problem wasn't necessarily UCL, not trying to improve diversity. I kind of thought, well, maybe that's just uh, people not applying um, because, well, I, I won't get onto the course or I won't be accepted, I don't have the grades. But then when I went to um, the um, diversity uh, event at the RCSLT and then when Andrew and I went to the one again in December and I recognised all of these diverse <laughs> girls and boys who were like, well, I did apply to UCL, but I didn't get accepted. You know, some of them got accepted here. And these are people who are very passionate, who, as a master's course, it's about thinking, what can this person bring to the institution? What can they bring to this profession? There's a bigger issue here, and I don't know if it's, um, how you're structuring your interview process. Mm. There's something that's not working. They say that to us on the course. <laughs> if you don't know, ask. <laughs> there's so there's so much takeaway from what you guys are saying there, and uh, I think I think actually you've answered answered my last question that I had for you um, mm. in terms of like what can be done in the field of speech and language therapy more widely to address this mm. issue. And my other question, I don't know how you feel about this question because I, I get the impression that it must be quite tiresome to be asked this. If you're happy to answer it, what would you recommend that individuals do to support people of colour on the course who need, who need to have their voices heard? My biggest disappointment, and this is really, really frustrating, is none of us discuss this in first year. With this has only come about in second year where we have had the confidence to now approach this. People's experiences in the last year only have been told because we have been actively asking people. We've been actively seeking people of diverse backgrounds. How have you found? They have not openly said in tutorials, I have experienced this. So for me, the most frustrating part is that no, like if something happens to any of us, 
for example, if something happens in placement, we do not feel like we can go into our tutorials. We do not feel like we can talk to our tutors. We do not feel we can talk to anyone because they cannot relate to us. We can only talk to each other. And the, we can only talk to each other now because we have opened this up. Last year, we were not talking about this. People were having experiences, but people weren't talking about it. The things that we have suggested... Um, a forum on Moodle. A forum on Moodle, small things that really impact the students if they are experiencing things making tutorials having five minutes of okay this is a situation how would like mm -hmm. everyone tackle everyone problem solve this together the short-term things and that's that's what for me that that's what they need to do focus on what they can do immediately that doesn't take a lot of time ask students about the experiences white black asian ask them about the experiences on placement ask them about the experiences before placement about diversity and use that information to actually start to build a picture people feel that they can't talk about it i i've got white peers who feel they can't talk about their experiences because they just think it's oh it's about diversity but that doesn't include me it actually does it does include you you are part of the solution. You are part of the problem and part of the solution. And we need to come together. It's a shame that it's it's come to a point where, you know, students have to push the issue. <laughs> when RCSL when RCSLT started and said, Okay, this is what we need to do, I, I feel like UCL should have taken the mantle then and said, Oh, actually brilliant. This is what we are going to do as an institution. Your education, your personal experiences, they all come together to kind of the situation that we have at the moment. Looking at a lot of us on this course, we, we're going into a field where we do not have the same difficulties as our clients. So we are helping. So like I look at that, you can mirror that. We are going in with we want to help. So I think that's how they need to go in. This may not directly affect them, but they need to want to help everyone in the course, even if it doesn't matter to you. If you're working, if you're going to work with people with a diverse background, then it matters to you. I think there is a tendency for white people to think that matters of race don't apply to them because mm. white people don't think of themselves as having race. It's not fair that the emotional labour and the onus is always on people of colour. And I do find it shocking that it's it, it, it took until 2019 for this to become... Uh, spoken about and opened even just a little bit within our course I don't know if that's that's fair but that's kind of the impression that I'm getting at the moment my opinion is if it wasn't for Rams and I I don't think they this would have focus group when none of this would have happened because what were they doing before yeah yeah and I think if, if you hadn't approached me Angel at that uh, mixer with the URA that, oh, yeah, Rachel's told me about this. I wouldn't have said anything. I wouldn't have posted anything on Facebook because I kind of just initially thought, well, no one really wants, no one in this course really wants to hear about diversity. But then in reality, well, we can't fix the problem ourselves. So I just won't say anything. So I'm grateful that Anne actually approached me then and she, was, she wanted to kind of work collaboratively to kind of get the message across that we need to improve diversity on this course. Because that's the kind of game of the confidence. And I'm, I'm glad it was, it was received well. But again, I'm still, for, for those who've had experience, a lot of them to say, well, yeah, it's great, but nothing's going to happen. Years now, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and that's when we realise people really don't have the confidence.
the efforts that the teaching staff have made things it is a learning process so we i we are grateful and we are thankful that they are taking this seriously and they are taking it but i don't think we also should be grateful and be thankful because it's something that should be done so that like, i'm contradicting myself because we shouldn't ask <laughs> we shouldn't ask to be treated like for this to be, be incorporated like it should be done so we are i'm happy that they're accepting it you get what i mean like yeah totally i think <laughs> thinking that it's enough would be well yeah yeah sure um and also thinking that it's something it's an issue that has like an end mm. is also an issue right like it's something yeah. that's ongoing and constantly ongoing mm. um yeah and I'm, I'm hopeful that we're in the infancy of this and i'm hopeful that uh the way that we're dealing with diversity at the moment is very, very early stages and will continue to improve. But I don't know how you guys feel about that. Oh, definitely. I think it's a good start. It's it's a very good start. Like, like and I, I think um, UCLs have started as well as they can. Um, and it's, it's really good that they've been making the efforts. Again, I'll keep going back to the point so it's very clear the situation for them that's when you said infancy, I think it's something that, yes, it's, it's, it's a very um, infant thing that uh, needs somebody who has got the capability to, to grow it and to actually uh, mature it to, to the point where it needs to be. I, I still feel that they just don't have the expertise and it's okay to acknowledge that. Um, it, it's very good. We've started really well and I'm, I'm thankful that they've given us a forum um, and I are formed to talk about it and to give them ideas. I would like to see them maybe getting um, some independent help to progress it. I think the collaboration, like we mentioned, having maybe, you know how we have um, student reps? Mm. Yeah. Course. Techni like technically, Rams and I have been like the represent representative for diversity. We're having that collaborative approach with the teaching staff. So when we leave, is it going to continue a collaborative approach? Do the, If they want it to continue, are they going to ask the students? What students are going to be monitoring this progression, monitoring that, okay, this is actually going to happen? And that's why I think if they're working behind the scenes, they need to discuss with the students, okay, we are doing this. It might not be the time frame, but to let them know. That's all I think Rams and I have expected more of to let us know. Maybe you can't do the Moodle page overnight, but let us know you're working on it. You have spoken to IT. Like, these things, just let us know. It's interesting, when we went to the event in December, uh, one of the things that was mentioned as a barrier was actually, it's the management of different teams that you have to actually get to. Because whilst everyone may have great ideas within themselves, it's approaching their manager and approaching their director to say this is what needs to happen. Um, when we went to the RCNC diversity event in December, it was really nice to get the mixture of students mm. and some um, clinicians and some clinicians that have experienced things that was eye-opening to us. Like, like I was shocked at how they can experience such obvious, blatant events like racism issues. These are clinicians, so students, we have, like, this, we're kind of in a student space where we can discuss with our, maybe with our, friends out on our course or sometimes with our tutors forget all of that and we're going into the real world it feels like are we going to be supported are we going to be the only 
who are we going to talk to? Like, it's all in well, UCL doing it, but they, I think UCL should also have continuing rapport with students who leave, who become um, clinicians, to go back to maybe support them in terms of this, or some kind of link that it's not just ended there. No, that's a great yeah. suggestion. Mm. I wonder if either of you have got sort of like your last little gem that you want to say. Well, I think this discussion could go on and on because like, there's so much. But like, I think um, I think the take-home message: this sh- it shouldn't be a token. This should be adapted. So they need to pick up pace. I think hopefully we're um, we're walking into a direction. We're not running yet. <laughs> and I think for me, I kind of I'll go back to kind of the message that I put out last year on on the um, Facebook page. I think this is an opportunity, and I think change um, only happens when there is an opportunity, and we want it to happen. So that's that's all of us really. So we've got an opportunity, and we need to make the most of it. Really. Yeah. Um, Let's keep the message out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys both so much for being so open and honest. And Brilliant. Um, Thank you. Great. Thank you both so much. So what you've just heard is an interview that I did with Ram and Ange back in April. Obviously, issues of race and blackness and whiteness in particular are currently in the public consciousness quite a lot due to the Black Lives Matter movement, which is not a new movement, but is definitely currently getting a lot of attention due to the murder of George Floyd. I got in touch with Andrew Ram to see if they wanted to make any further statements in the light of this. Ange very kindly agreed to speak with me, so you'll hear what I chatted to her about in just a minute. Ram, at this time, did not feel that she wanted to speak with me any further, which we completely appreciate, and we're both really grateful that she just let us know this. Um, She's understandably emotionally exhausted at this time, and she did actually send me this really beautiful analogy, which I would like to share with you now, and she's given me permission to share. A friend told her this analogy, and it is, We may be in the same storm of life, but we are not on the same boat. There are those who will throw you a life raft from their strong and powerful boat to your shabby sinking boat. But it's just so you can float and remain thankful to them for your life, not swim towards their boat. There are those who will paddle their stronger boat to your weaker one, not to save you, but to sink you and force your head underwater so you never have an opportunity to even swim to safety if you could. Both behaviours are driven by fear, ignorance and hate they can't even explain. The effect is the same either way. If we are not quiet, compliant and subservient, then we must cease to exist. So thank you, Ram, for sharing that. And our love is completely with you. And we hope that you start to feel a little better soon. Um, What follows now is the discussion that I had with Ange. So I've come back to speak to Ange in light of the Black Lives Matter movement that is so at the forefront of everyone's mind at the moment and see if she had anything to add 
um, in light of that and with regards to speech and language therapy. So Ange, thanks so much for coming back to speak to me. Thank you for reaching out. So I'm, I'm a brown Indian student speech and language therapist. So everything that I say is from a place of what I'm experiencing. These are my opinions as someone who is not black. So everything I say and how angry I am and how sad and heartbroken I am is a small, small, small percentage of what a black person, especially in this current climate, is feeling. The awful, unjust act that happened was not an isolated incident and it really just brought the momentum of race throughout the whole world. Black people have been experiencing this trauma for centuries. It's only now that some other people, not all, are realising how awful this treatment is because it had been recorded. There there was no grey area in this for be up for discussion. Justice is happening. Cases are being reopened. People are fighting. But black people have been fighting for years and years and years and years and more years than I can even say. My statement in light of this is that acknowledge that some black people are exhausted of fighting this fight is not the responsibility of them as a human race. We non-black people need to do better because they experience this daily in forms of microaggression, specifically in the UK. There's not a hierarchy of racism. It's not this thing is worse than this thing. Racism is racism. And this is experienced now specifically in speech and language therapy. We, just as a profession, the reason why we do this job is to support people, specifically people with communication difficulties. We are so comfortable in being nice that everyone is complacent. But niceness doesn't get things done. Niceness doesn't make a change. People have been protesting people have been expressing the pain that they have had to endure for years and years if we have a position of power and we can do things about it then we can do things about it it's not about waiting for someone else to do something about it as speech and language therapists we can implement the change now for example over the past week there have been so many resources on twitter discussing how to be inclusive if you do not know where to start start there Write a tweet saying, I'm trying to be more inclusive. I work with this client group or this and this. How do I be more inclusive? People will reach out to you because as speech and language therapists, we are very caring and we want to share. We want to help. That is the premise of what we do. I found the other day a resource for Muslim parents of deaf kids. There's a resource that has BSL, Muslim BSL book that can support the facilitation of rapport building if you have a caseload that has Muslim deaf children in and how you can reach out to parents to help facilitate as a profession. We all talk about holistic, being client-centred, yes, being culturally acceptable, this and that, but we're not talking about what are we doing? What books are we talking? When we're assessing children or when we're reading to children or anything, this stuff needs to be not just added slide-ins at the ends of the presentation. This needs to be incorporated into our profession. There needs to be resources that fit everyone because if we can't, if we just have a one staple approach, we're taught in university, that's not what you do. You look at the client, you look at their background, you look at their case history and you form a plan based on that 
you need to really look at then their race. A speech and language therapy student on Twitter mentioned something very, very, very important. This is the last point I'm going to make. She said, this is this a fact that specifically black males are stopped by the police more than anyone else. So what happens to those black males with communication difficulties? Do they get lost in the system? These are her words. These are things that you might need to think, oh, how can we, um, how do we tackle this? Is it, do we speak about it with the schools? So her name is Anne Omosiri. Really sorry if I butchered the last name, but um, please check her out. She is honestly, has been kind of a fight for why RCSLT retracted their statement and actually worked with her and another SLT to come up with a um, an actual proper statement. So thank a big thank you to her. Thanks very much, Anne. And sorry to limiting you to five minutes. No, it's okay. <laughs> it got everything. Yes, no, I mean, five minutes is never going to be enough. But yeah, you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to take this opportunity to thank both Ange and Rama for their generosity and I think they're both an inspiration to all of us on the speech and language therapy course so thank you guys. <laughs>